This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This. It's great to be with you. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first time, I hope you find a voice of reason patriotic voice of an American Muslim that feels that it is a Muslim problem out there that needs a Muslim solution. Uh, Muslims that are not afraid to take on the beast head-on, the beast of the ideology of political Islam globally, the ideology that needs to be reformed. And we have a long, long road to hoe, but at the end of the day, every journey starts somewhere, as they say, and hopefully your journey starts here on Reform This with the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, Week to week, I try to breach those ideas that have a chasm between the land of Islam, Dar al-Islam, and the land of the West, or as the Islamists call it, Dar al-Harb, the land of war. And for us Muslims that rest comfortably and live here in the land of freedom, it is our responsibility to lead that change. And this week, sadly, unlike or like too many weeks, was punctuated by another heinous, barbaric act of militancy. We saw in London an act of terror this week. At the time I'm talking to you and recording this, we didn't know the name of exactly who committed this, but it had all the hallmarks, all the hallmarks of radical Islam, ISIS sympathy, and as we know, ISIS has been releasing through their channels of communications uh, stimuli, requests for their jihadists to commit acts of terror. They released a uh, video montage, a computer reproduction, demonstrating that these vehicular jihadists of Nice that drove that vehicle through Bastille Day, injuring so many, was... Something that they were calling upon other jihadists to emulate, to imitate. And then we saw later in December 2016, the Christmas market attack in Berlin by the Tunisian immigrant that had gone through Italy, had lasted four years in a prison. And that prison, 
than they claimed radicalized him, but it's very likely that he brought with him the Islamist ideology. But this week, we're still finding out. I think it'd be highly, highly unlikely that this was not an Islamist or not somebody inspired by ISIS, because not only did he commit the vehicular jihad, but then there was a machete knife involved in which he attacked police officer with the knife. He killed four with the vehicle and injured many other with some innocents diving for safety into the Thames near the Westminster. And we saw that the attack happened near the seat of government, near the parliament in the UK. And, you know, the video that was released last year had the picture of Prime Minister Cameron on it. Cameron, who many of us in the reform community, in the reform anti-Islamist Muslims looked upon as somebody who was brave enough to identify Islamism. He gave a speech on counterterrorism in Munich in 2015 that was just fantastic, laid out that this is an ideological battle, laid out that it's a battle between those who believe in freedom and liberty and those who believe in theocracy and the Islamist state identity. It was really fantastic. But then, come EU, come... Brexit and Prime Minister Cameron leaves. Now, this is going to transition into a the next conversation I want to have with you, which is the crux of today's program, which is about nationalism, patriotism, and Islamism. Are those three different concepts, or do we use one to defeat the other? The concept of nationalism led to Brexit, and unfortunately... While Cameron had his challenges, I think he was one of the few that showed some leadership and clarity about what we were up against when it came to political Islam and Islamism. And we've seen with the attack of the Islamists that there's a reason that they attack the symbolism of seats of government. When Lee Rigby lost his life because of the British Nigerian Islamists, that in May 22nd, 2013, committed an act of attempting to behead him and murdered him again in front of government. Police officer, military officer that was slaughtered by the ISIS operatives, by the radical Islamists, the two, two, I'm sorry, the two Nigerian Islamists. But before that, London hadn't been attacked since 7-7. And that was an Al-Qaeda operation. And at that time, they said, we must fight them as they fight us. As the British Nigerian Islamists said before they attacked and slaughtered Lee Rigby. It's the same mantra. We hear that. If you look at the videos for ISIS that were trying to drive another attack in the UK this summer, they said the same thing. They said, blood for blood. And they were trying to avenge the attacks in Mosul. And sure enough, just a few weeks ago, we had another victory of the West in Mosul to recapture Mosul from ISIS. And now we're seeing incursions in Raqqa by some American troops that are fighting in Syria. So we know, like any, tra like any rat trapped about to be defeated, it will act out in order to preserve its own life. 
and this is the militancy of radicals, will continue to not only spread their verbiage, their militancy, their recruitment tools, as vicious as possible, seems to recruit the most in their jihadist, their bloody jihad. But we finally have a president that's actually going to give the military, the DOD and Secretary Mattis, the freedom to operate in a way that will allow him to fully decimate ISIS. But don't be lulled into complacency. We could defeat ISIS tomorrow, next month, and it will circle back and regenerate itself like a hydra into another form, Jibril Nusra, some other form, as long as the cauldron continues to brew them. That cauldron of core Islamist doctrine that believes in the caliphate, Islamic Sharia supremacist states, and its marriage to dictatorship, secular dictatorships that are fascistic, that feed and fuel and feed off of radical Islamist ideas as we see in almost every Middle Eastern country. This attack in London was again at the seat of government as we saw in the parliament in Ottawa, Canada with the attack a few years ago. As we saw in the attack in National Guard outposts, as we saw in the attack in Fort Hood, as we saw in the attack on many military institutions, government institutions, ground zero for the attacks are representations of what American Western governments are, what our military is, the identity, because these movements are about a national identity that is about Islam. Anything that is non-Islamic in its collectivist national identity becomes a target. They not only believe in slaughtering innocent, unarmed civilians, but those who represent symbols of what they're, what would defeat them ultimately, which is the national identity of Western states. And typically we'll find that these are known wolves, not lone wolves, but known. We have yet to know exactly at the time I'm speaking to you about who exactly did this, but odds are high as we quickly unravel it that it'll be a known wolf. And this happened on the exact one-year anniversary of the Brussels attack. And I'll remind you, last year, the Brussels attack in March 2016 was the same cell that committed the attack in Paris November 2015. So how did they hide out and end up in Molenbeek despite raids by police and others? Because there were some supporting communities, sympathizers with what they were doing that looked upon their countries, their communities, their cities, not as their own, but as separatists. So this will continue to recur. It's a long war. It's generational. We need leadership that will not only say what we're against in defeating the whack-a-mole program of the terrorists through a whack-a-mole program, but also what we're for. How will we build a coalition of those in the West of what we're for that allows Muslims through what we believe in in our American, British, German, Western states based in freedom so that we can stand against Islamism. I'm sure there'll be more to come on this story.
But we need, for those of you listening, we need to begin to develop a strategy that puts these pieces together as symptoms of a deeper disease, of a condition, which is Islamist supremacism. And it needs to be treated and defeated. And the ideas within the Islamic theology that create that need to be reformed. And that's what our Muslim reform movement's all about. When I come back, we're going to talk about nationalism, patriotism, and Islamism. On the heels of a meeting between President Trump and Angela Merkel from Germany. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's great to be with you. Thank you for uh, staying with me. And now I'd like to dive into that issue that is uh, the topic for this week's podcast. And it is nationalism, patriotism, and Islamism. At the core, at the central nucleus of solutions, of defeat, of identifying the enemy is the enemy believes that the state's identity thrives on Islam, that the state's identity is not about individual rights under God, but about a jihad, a jihad mandated as a citizen's obligation to serve the military. And that military obligation can only be jihad if the state's identity is Islamic. If the state's legal system is sharia, then jihad becomes obligatory. If the state's identity is a national identity, a secular identity based in reason, based in individual rights under God that could be from any faith, especially Judeo-Christian Islamic of all the different sects and denominations of our faiths, that is no longer a specific Islamic state, but it becomes a state that cherishes and protects the individual, sometimes at the expense of the majority, which is what makes our country a republic versus a democracy. That is the difference. And if that identity is about Islam and Islamism, it cannot be compatible with what we understand to be patriotism. I call them the Islamist Islamopatriots those who believe in the Sharia state. Patriotism, as we understand it in the West, is about protecting the flag, protecting our constitution. Yes, I served in the Navy as a doctor. We took care of the Marines. The Marines' code was God, country, family, core. 
God came first. It's part of their mantra, part of their belief, part of what we fought for. Obviously, family and core is important. Country came right after God. And this is something the Islamists would never, the Islamists would never recognize. The reason I'm bringing this issues up is this week there was a lot of discussions about the difference between Angela Merkel and Donald Trump. Europe is going through a whole process that is a, a struggle between the two extremes, one being hyper-nationalism and the other being European socialism and collectivism. The left socialism and collectivism wants to annihilate any semblance of national integrity and identity other than for whatever purposes it might suit economic collectivism. But militarily, security-wise, there's been a, a sense of inferiority for those who are nationalists and believe in the identification of Britain, Germany, Belgium, France. There, however... There's also been movements that have been trying to oppose that. Many of them very natural and should be supported, which are to protect the country's rule of law based on their identity and their historic identity of evolution through revolutions into identification as national units with their history of freedom and liberty of each of them from France to Britain to Germany. But there's also a peripheral manifestation of some hyper-nationalism, as we see with Geert Wilders in the Netherlands, in which he almost won an election this week, or last week, recently, in which he would have demonstrated a hyper-nationalist extreme in which he offered very little about what he was for other than the national identity of being Dutch and also being anti-Islam. And I can tell you from my experience there, as I've written about before, yes, when he came to the United States and Senator Kyle from Arizona had asked him to present his short documentary on the Quran, I spoke to him and offered to meet with him. Jeff Jacoby for the Boston Globe has written and asked him in an interview about my work. And he said, well, he has nothing against it. He doesn't agree that it's possible to moderate or reform Islam, but... He would have nothing against it. Bottom line, though, is in 2008, when I was in the Netherlands on a program on citizenship and democracy, speaking to university students, high school students, and with the American embassy there, our ambassador to the Netherlands, Roland Arnall, had called Mr. Wilder's office to meet with me, and his staff had told him explicitly that he does not meet with Muslims despite the suggestion from our ambassador that he do so, and he was a sitting parliamentarian at the time. But that was many years ago when, he, when Senator Kyle put him on the phone with me. When he was here, he said that he'd love to meet with me and did not recall making that decision himself, but felt that maybe staff had done it. Regardless, I was ready to move forward. We, to this day, had not met. 
Obviously, opportunity is very difficult considering how far apart we are. I raise that story, though, because I think it's important to note that there are those, we've talked about them here on this program, the alt-jihadists who really simply believe Islam is one monopoly. It's the Islam of Saudi Arabia, of Iran, of the Muslim Brotherhood, of Taliban, of Jamaat Islamiyya and the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups. One apologist, apologetic, 10th, 12th, 13th century Islam rooted in Sharia supremacism rather than an Islam that might be reformed, that has the possibility of being reformed. It's obviously not reformed yet, but there could be a possibility of bringing it into the 21st century. Yeah, I don't think Wilders fits that, and I think many of the hypernationalists use Islam as a foil in order to, now again, foil in an authoritarian kind of way. Obviously, it's easy to use it because it is a supremacist establishment right now that controls the mantle, the platforms of Islam in every Muslim-majority country and among the establishment Islamic organizations in the West. But the reason I'm saying and using the term use is because there's no positivity and engagement of Islam that Perhaps Islam is in that time in history in which it's going through an enlightenment and through a reformation that we should engage reformers and give it even a chance that those reformers might be on that. Yes, they're on the opposite side of the field. Yes, they have 99 yards to go down the football field, but they're on the field. The anti-Islam crowd believes that the reformers aren't even on the field. They're not Muslims, they're apostates. And they can use that in order to curry an embattled nationalism to protect themselves from the global threat of Islamism. Well, that's true. They do need to protect, be protected from the global threat of Islamism. Freedom and liberty is on the defense. Nobody's protecting it. Nobody's speaking about it and what we're for. But the way to protect it is to be on the offense. And the way you be on the offense is you protect the individual rights of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And you do that through a robust patriotism in which French identity, German identity, American identity is bolstered through a defense of freedom for all under the constitutions of those nations, nation states. That the nation state identity should be based in a pluralistic Defense of all those believers, non-believers, atheists, deists, Christians, Jews, Christian, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims. Free to worship under God, under the Constitution, together as Americans, as Brits, as Canadians, as French. That nationalism with that patriotic identification is the only antidote to Islamism, to global Islamic state hegemony into a caliphate and that sense that Muslims have a more important loyalty to the Islamic state, to the global jihad in which they will serve their community. That needs to be confronted. The only way to confront Islamism is to embrace 
Muslim reformers that can take away the narrative of the Islamic State and say that we would want nothing more and the only thing we would ever want to die for is a secular French state that believes in freedom and liberty. And that's why we want our kids to grow up here, our grandkids to grow up in Paris and France, in America, in Germany. Because we want nothing to do with an Islamic state that's theocratic and in fact un-Islamic. That debate has to happen. And the only way for it to happen is for Muslims to find something that they want to celebrate primarily to serve in the military, serve in the police, to serve in those nations that are not quote-unquote Islamic, but are French, German, American. When we come back, let's talk about how separating out nationalism from patriotism, as difficult as it might be and as much as there's overlap, those two different things are important. We need both. But nationalism without patriotism becomes hyper-nationalism based in racial issues rather than ideological ones. And you can't defeat Islamism without both nationalism and patriotism ideologically to do that. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back on Reform This. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Matt Walsh. Well, I just read a story. A uh, feminist author recommends to young girls that they uh, not read any books written by men, which is which is a little bit limiting. It's kind of like recommending that someone not watch any mobster movies directed by Scorsese or Coppola. You know, it's you're you're, you're kind of ruling out all the best ones, aren't you? Matt Walsh. Available on demand anytime at theblaze.com slash radio. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, we were talking last segment about nationalism, patriotism, and Islamism. Before I get to sort of why I view nationalism and patriotism as not exactly the same circles, but some areas not overlapping, we were talking about the meeting between Trump and Merkel. Politico identified Merkel as the leader of the the free world. Somehow that President Trump had abandoned that and Obviously, if you follow me, you know that I might not disagree with some of my concerns about what President Trump says he's for and how much I wish he would say more on a daily basis about what rights and freedoms and liberties he stands for, what he sees America's role in the world against all dictators, against all autocracies and kleptocracies. But that's our internal criticism. Globally, To immediately say that the president for the first time is no longer the leader of the free world, but actually say that Germany's chancellor has become the leader of the free world. A woman whose elections and campaigns have been challenged because she has been what I think more fairly is the undertaker of the free world, where she's allowed hundreds of thousands of refugees to come in unvetted 
ideologically, where the, the German national identity has been compromised by what has seemed to be a national fratricide, in which she initially challenged the patriotism of those who questioned the validity of allowing everybody to rush in like a sonic boom. And then as she got closer to the campaign, she started to make sort of bizarre, reflexive statements about the burqa, outlawing them and how much she thought they should be outlawed, which is all fine if you're talking about the face veil and other things, but sort of seem to be non sequiturs from somebody who actually allowed a rush of a population that most of, many of which, did not share the German values. And I would think if you talk to many Muslims in Germany, as much as they want to do humanitarian help for Syrians, they would say, first, we, our job is to maintain the security and preserve German identity. And also, if they love the humanitarianism of helping the Syrian population, why are such a huge percentage of those refugees not even Syrian? If you look at the population data of the distribution, be it Afghani, Pakistani, Egyptian, others that are coming in. Why has the numbers been so high of crime rates and other things if you really want the German population to feel good about helping its immigrants? It's better to be tougher on vetting them so that the population that are allowed in set a better example of what refugees do and contribute to society that welcomes them. But no, now our own papers, the Politico, is saying that Merkel is the leader of the free world. And I think ultimately this conversation, I had wished to only be a fly in the wall of a conversation between sort of the populist President Trump to preserve national security is what he ran on to attack and kill ISIS versus Merkel, now the leftist savior of the free world, who really also has no solutions about militarization, militancy of radicals and the Islamist mindset and how they're going to counter that. We saw with the Christmas market vehicular jihad that this individual and his spiritual guider who had radicalized 30, 40 of what appeared to be an ISIS sympathetic cell within Berlin had been in and out of monitoring. And now they've been raided, but three or four months even after the Christmas market attack. So German security forces have a problem. German ideology has a problem when it comes to confronting Islamism. And this is why I think at the crux of what I'm trying to tell you is that in America, I think it's much easier. America's ideology is about immigrants coming to seek freedom and liberty and individual rights away from autocracy, theocracy, and oppression. And America is an idea, it's not a landmass. 
So I talked about the difference between nationalism and patriotism. Nationalism has within it not just sort of what Americanism is. America is an ism. It is about individual rights, about the freedom to be protected by a constitution that has a bill of rights that protects you from oppression, protects you from the establishment of religion, protects you and honors your free speech, honors your right to bear arms, honors your your constitutionally protected rights. That's what Americanism is, and it does so blind to your national origin, to your race, your skin color, and your faith, your declared faith. While the nation-states of Europe, as much as their revolutions went through the Enlightenment and as much as their revolutions went through a modernization and democratization, still bound to their nationalism as a racial identity. So nationalism, especially hyper-nationalism, will actually feed into the radicalization of Muslims and is the opposite of political Islam because it's a racially identified national state. But patriotism, the love of country based on it being equal, protecting, equally protecting all those of all faiths, races, and beliefs, is, I think, a better concept to endorse and teach our Muslim youth. And especially, as much as it's important for everybody, I think especially Muslim youth need programs. Our Muslim Liberty Project talks about this need programs to empower our bonding with the patriotism and nationalism of our countries. And I talk about nationalism. I'm not afraid as a former naval officer and a believer in our flag and our constitution and what it means to be an American, to be proud of my nationalism. But I also understand that nationalism gone awry becomes devoid of patriotism because real patriots believe in the equality of all under the Constitution. And it's not better for some versus others. Hyper-nationalism ultimately becomes fascistic, collectivist, and meets full circle from the far right to the far left to become an oppressive entity. And some of the worst movements in history have been hyper-nationalist. I can tell you my family will give you a lot of long stories about hyper-nationalism of Jamal Abdel Nasser in Egypt, of Hafiz Assad in Syria, of Saddam Assad, of Saddam Hussein in Iraq, that these hyper-nationalists, the Ba'athist Party, Liberation Party, which actually is a socialist party of fascists that was in Syria, and then metastasized to Iraq, and the NDP in Egypt is very similar with a similar platform. But these fascist socialist parties were collectivists that used Arab racism to marginalize non-Arabs, and then since they were Sunnis, to marginalize non-Sunni Arabs 
such as Shia Arabs, Jewish Arabs, and other faiths and who didn't fit their fascist mold. That's the solution right now that they are faced with as you see the Syrian revolution where Assad says he's the protector of minorities. Well, sure, compared to the Islamist barbarians, but he's also a barbarian hypernational fascist that has been slaughtering genocidally Sunni innocents. He's no different than ISIS. But he wears a tie and, wear, and, and waves the Syrian flag. There has to be a third pathway. That third pathway is a national identity born in a patriotism that defends the liberty of all against Islamism. A patriotism that defends the liberty of all against Islamism. Unfortunately, I don't think either President Trump or Angela Merkel were discussing that. I think you saw, likely, I would guess, there was a populist national narrative about the protection of the free world, which President Trump articulates pretty well at times, sometimes not so well. And Merkel, who somehow was talking about human rights being vis-a-vis helping refugees, etc., but not really articulating what it means to be German and how to protect that, and how the NATO countries should come together to do that together Sometimes as a collective, but other times through the protection of each individual country. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. segment this week of Reform This. It's great to be with you. Thanks for hanging in there. You know, there's a lot to talk about, uh, but I think there's no subject more central, more comprehensive, if you will, that covers really a, a clear understanding of what's at stake. What's at stake is, are we able to have citizens that come to this country that live here, that believe it is their role to protect us against all enemies, foreign and domestic? Or do they come here to simply make some money and then become insurgents, separatists, or don't believe in our social, governmental, or legal contracts that they have with society? President Trump was criticized about this ban that he had. You had activist judges that blocked it, not based on what's on paper, but using what I've called a truly reductio ad absurdum which is they've reduced it to the most absurd, which is they find some comment the president made on the campaign trail. Yes, many of them were gems. But if he made a comment, then anything he writes can be reduced 
to saying that the intent of that law is based on this absurd comment candidate Trump made versus what his team, what his administration puts down on paper as their policy and articulates to the court as their policy and effectuates and the front lines as their policy. So to block an order before, even if they say his intent is different, have it proven in effect that it becomes proven to be discriminatory versus actually assuming it will be based on something he said months ahead before he even knew what the first few words on any executive order would be. But no, the six countries that he's listed now are countries whose governments are not our allies, whose countries who you know, might as well ship terrorists out for all they care. They're not uh, looking at any sense of trying to keep America safe, be it the Yemeni government, the Libyan one, the Sudanese, any of these six countries. So it makes sense that they'd be put on a pause list now. Does that keep the Saudi radicals, the Pakistani, Afghanis, Others that certainly house Islamist ideolog ideological movements that threaten us? No. So I think these six countries are a pilot program. They're a control group to figure out how to begin to institute policies and mechanisms to vet those who come in. And the FBI already noted in the last few weeks that there are 300 plus cases of individuals who are refugees that are here, that are connected to concerns of terrorism. Studies in Europe showed that refugees had sympathy rates up to 20% for the ideologies, not the acts, but the ideologies of ISIS. So, can we move on from the agitation propaganda of leftist rallies and others that are talking about bans that aren't even anywhere in policy and we need to get this right make no doubt the reason I'm ending on this subject is I'm not anyone as any of you who know what I talk about and what we do at the American Islamic Forum I'm not anyone that believes that we should stop immigration in indefinitely I believe that America's immigrant message carries within it that nugget of ideological power in which any human being on the planet, if they're persecuted, if they reject the autocracy and theocracy of the lands that they live in, that they can come to the United States to be free and liberal, classically liberal, and get closer to liberty. That's who we should want here forever. Yes, that's what Ellis Island was about. No, we shouldn't just let anybody in. But that ideology, if we surrender it in the name of national security or nationalism, we lose the patriotism that was what made that is what makes us strong. We need both. We need a strong national identity and to protect us from a fratricide or suicide of allowing anyone in that just wants to come in as insurgents. But we need that, that that ideology in which we welcome those that come from abroad, that ideology in which we welcome 
those who seek to be free, not those who just love, you know, like in the Academy Awards last month, you had that absurd artist that refused to come to the United States because he was making a statement about how vicious America was by having a travel ban. And the foreign minister, Zarif, congratulated him on the courageous stand he took sitting in Tehran, yelling at America and saying he refused to come and take it. And he had some lady give a speech on democracy to the Academy Awards and why he wouldn't come to take his award here because of how offensive the American ban was on Iranian immigration. Are you kidding me? Sitting in the lap of theocracy where they chant death to Israel and death to America. This guy who wouldn't even dream of hiccuping against the Khomeinists does a movie that somehow obviously didn't threaten the regime so to me is not art. To me, art that lives comfortably in one of the worst dictatorships on the planet is not humanitarian art, it's robotic art. There's a reason the schools of Syria, Saudi Arabia, of Qatar, of Iran, only do science like engineering and medicine because the humanities threaten their regimes. Schools of philosophy, journalism, art and poetry and music threaten regimes because it causes, brings about free thinking. So no, individuals that want to come here to be free and enjoy freedoms they can't have, I think we need to embrace and allow to lead the narrative of what America stands for. Individuals that don't want to come here for that reason, but rather to lecture us and live and thrive in the oppressive theocracies of Iran, good riddance, don't ever come here and we should vet them out not because they're terrorists, but because they ideologically don't believe in our social contract. So all of these issues are tied together, but at the top and at the nucleus is the belief that ideologically American nationalism and its patriotism, the reason I would die for this flag, for this constitution, and why I served in the Navy, is I want to teach my kids and my grandkids that Islamism you would never, not only not want to believe, but you'd never want to fight for, defend, or especially die for. It is a political theocratic mantra that is not Islam. It is the national identity of bearded misogynists who are stuck in the 10th century that cut hands for, against those who steal, that treat women as third-class citizens, that treat non-Muslims or even Muslim reformers. As animals. This is the difference between American nationalism and Islamism. So as you think tonight about the difference between nationalism and patriotism and how those two ideas together need to defeat Islamism, think about all the different fronts of engagement about universal human rights, about immigration, refugees, about diversity and pluralism about our strategies and which groups we accept and which ones we work against globally and domestically. And about when we start to think about what a Trump doctrine, what our foreign policy should be, I hope we start to artic articulate what it means to be an American patriot and thus teach 
our allies, our real allies on the ground in Egypt and Syria and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Iran. Ask them, what does it mean to be an Iranian patriot, to be an Egyptian patriot? Because as I, when I met with them when I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, that was a question I would always ask them. Tell me what it means to be an Egyptian patriot. If they give you some Jamal Abdel Nasser answer, the old fascist dictator of the 50s and 60s, that's not a solution to radical Islam. That's a fuel for radical Islam, even though it's not Islamism. If they give you an answer, it's about religious freedom for cops, for Baha'is, for Muslims, for non-Muslims, for atheists. Then you know they're headed in the right direction in that third pathway towards real Egyptian patriotism that will become a real democracy in the next generation. This is Udi Jasser. God bless. And this is Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jazzer.